0: We're starting a new series today. But before we start that, I want you to just bear with me as I attempt to tell you a joke. Is that all right? Can I do thats that? I'm going to attempt to tell you a joke, right? Um, so the day finally arrives when Forrest Gump dies and he goes to heaven. And he's met at the pearly gates by St. Peter himself. And the gates are closed, uh, um, however, as Forrest approaches the gatekeeper. St. Peter says, well, Forrest, it's certainly good to see you. We've heard a lot about you. I must inform you that the place is filling up fast and we've been administering an entrance examination for everyone. The tests are fairly short, but you need to pass before you can get into heaven. And so Forrest responds, and at this point, you're all expecting me to talk like Forrest Gump. It's not going to happen. I tried that first service, and it was whack whack whack. So I'm not doing that, right? So uh, Forrest responds, it sure is good to be here, St. Peter. I was looking forward to this, but nobody ever told me about any entrance exam. I sure hope the test ain't too hard. Life was big enough a test as it was. And so St. Peter goes on and says, yes, I know, Forrest, but the test I have for you is only three questions. And so the three questions are this. What days of the week begin with the letter T? How many seconds are there in a year? And what is God's first name? So Forrest goes away to think the question over. And he returns the next day and goes up to St. Peter to try and answer the exam questions. And St. Peter waves him up and says, now that you have had a chance to think of the questions over, tell me your answers. And so Forrest says, well, the first one, how many days of the week begin with the letter T? Shucks, that one's easy. That be today and tomorrow. And so the saint's eyes opened wide and he exclaimed, Forrest, that's not what I was thinking. But you do have a point though, and I guess I didn't specify, so I'll give you credit for that one. How about the next one? asked St. Peter. How many seconds in a year? Now that one's harder, says Forrest. But I thunk and I thunk, true to Forrest Gump. I thunk and I thunk. And I guess the only answer I can come come up with is 12. Astounded, St. Peter says, 12? 12? Forrest, how in heaven's name could you come up with 12 seconds in a year? Forrest says, shucks, there's got to be 12. January 2nd, February 2nd, March 2nd, April 2nd, and on and on, right? So he goes, okay, 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 okay. Uh, I, I see where you're going with this. I guess I see your point. Though that's not what I quite, quite what I had in mind. But I'll give you credit for that one too. Let's go on to the final question, Forrest. Can you tell me God's first name? Forrest replied without hesitation, Andy. He says, um, okay. Frustrated, St. Peter says, I guess I can understand how you came up with your answers for the first two questions. But how in the world did you come up with the, same, with the name Andy for the first name of God? Oh, that was the easiest of all, Forrest replied. I learned it while I was a kid in church. And he walks with me, and he talks with me. (laughs) I take no credit for that joke; just something I came up with. Um, We're starting a new series today entitled "This Is What We Do." This is what we do. I want you to think about this. There are some things in life that we just do, right? How many of you wake up in the morning and you breathe? Right? You're concerning me because that tells me you're not breathing when you're sleeping. You breathe, right? How many of us get up and uh, we, we, we get dressed, right? We brush our teeth. It's just what we do. Some of you don't eat breakfast. Shame on you. This is what we do, right? There's things that we just normally know to do in life. It's like second nature. And believe it or not, there are things that as believers we should naturally do. The question is, do we know that? And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be on a series entitled, This Is What We Do. And if there's one thing that we as believers do, that we do, it's worship. It's worship. Here's today's big idea. Worshiping God, this is what we do. Say that with me. Worshiping God, God. this is what we do. This is what we do. This is the, this is the first and primary, the, the pinnacle, the peak. This is what it's all about. This is, it's about God. It's about Jesus. And this is what we do. Worship unto God. This is what we do. Now, the word worship, the English word worship, comes from the old Anglo-Saxon word, which uh, is worthship. And it means to attribute or ascribe worth to a thing to attribute or ascribe worth to a thing. The most commonly used words in the New Testament for the word worship are two Greek words. The first one is proskunio, which means to kiss the hand of another in a token of reverence. It also speaks of kneeling down or laying prostrate in homage to someone. The other word is sebomai, and it simply means to revere, to show the utmost respect, right? And so while very few people today are literally laying down prostrate before someone in worship. I want you to think about this. Everyone worships something. Everyone worships. Believer or unbeliever, everyone worships because everyone ascribes value to something. And there's nothing wrong with us valuing things. Let me, just, let me just prove to you that everyone worships. How many of you work? Wave your hand nice and high. You work. Okay, you're working, right? You got something going on. All right, here's what I want you to do. For the next five months, I want you to not go to work, take a leave of absence with no pay, and come here and clean toilets and sweep and mop. No takers, huh? You get my point? Now, there's nothing wrong with ascribing value to the work that we do. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible says the man that doesn't work should eat, right? And so there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We all ascribe value to things. We ascribe value to the relationships we maintain with our spouses, with our children, with our family. We we we, uh, we uh, uh, ascribe value to the work that we do. We ascribe value to the education that we're undertaking. We ascribe value to our friendships. We ascribe value to our social life. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong at all with that. Those things are valuable. How many of you know that that enriches our lives, right? It makes life worth living. You know, it, it adds something. To it, But here's the problem when we ascribe more value to things over God. That's when it becomes a problem. That's not what we do. right? I remember years ago, my this term, this is what we do, I got this. I was thinking about something my wife had said a while to me. And I was just thinking about, uh, she would always say, this is what we do. This is just what we do. And I remember the first time I can recall her saying that. It was many, many years ago. Um I, was, I had just started coming back to church, you know, I've been in church for a little while now, and I was learning the word in a different kind of way, it was impacting my life, and life was exciting, but you know, I'll be honest with you, we weren't making a lot of money, right, and so this one day, my wife comes with this bright idea, it wasn't just a good idea, it was a God idea, the thing is, it didn't fit in my head, and it didn't fit in my heart at that time, right? I wasn't quite there yet. Um, and so my wife is talking to me about a couple in the church that we were at, where we were youth leaders and everything. And she's telling me about how uh, this couple had some kind of emergency that came up, and they didn't have the money to cover it. And so she felt in her heart, she says, "Hun, I really feel from the Lord that we should cover that thousand dollars that they need." And I said, "You you felt what? The devil's a liar." <laughs> That was my attitude. I'm being honest, Trump. I'm ratting on me. i don't, I'm not, I don't you don't tell on you. I'm telling on me. Right? But that's what she said. And I looked at her like you're crazy. Right? But anyway, uh, the, the truth is that I said, "Hun, we don't make much money. She says, babe, this is what we do. It's more blessed to give than to receive. This is just what we do. This is who we are as believers. And I was like, all right. And we did it. Right. And and it it, it blessed them. And and how many of you know it feels good to just do what the word says? You know what I'm saying? It it fulfills our lives. So this is what we do. Right. So uh, as believers and children of God, there's only one thing that we should be putting above anything else. It's God and God only. I'm not saying we can't love our children. I'm not saying we can't love the work that we do. I'm not saying that we can't love the relationships. That we, that's all good, but we can't love them above God. And if we could be honest, and I'll tell myself, I'm guilty of putting other things before God. I've been there. I've been there. And I believe that all of us have been there. I think that all of us at some point can get there if we're not careful. Where it becomes more about me or or other things that we seek fulfillment in above God, right? And that's not what we do. So simply, in light of what we're gonna be talking about, today, I'm going to make a statement to you, and then I want to qualify it according to scripture. It's this that worship is our response to the great value that God has in our hearts and our lives. That's worship, it's a response, right? It's like when you go to work. You go to work and you work 40 hours and you, you bust your butt and you do what you got to do. But you do it. Why? Because the res- you're doing it in response to what? A paycheck. You're, put, you're, es- you're esteeming that value and you're doing what you got to do for that for that for those funds, for what you've been hired for. Because uh, what you're expected to do. And so our worship... And in every area of our lives is a response to the value that God holds. I got to tell you and be honest with you that as I was studying for this particular, as I was uh, reviewing the word and and digging into some things specifically to this sermon today, it hit me hard because I've never seen worship the way I want to propose it to you. Right? Um, And so I want you to turn with me to the book of Mark chapter 12. Mark 12 verses 28 through 34. Mark 12, 28 through 34. And if you don't have a Bible, it's fine. You can join us on the screen. It'll be up there for you. But Mark 12, verses 28 through 34. This is Jesus uh, having an encounter with the Sadducees, the scribes of the day. And so then it says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard of them reasoning together, heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth. For there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more Then all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. And so let's break down what's happened, what's happening here. Up until this very point, Jesus has been questioned by these religious scribes in previous verses and chapters. And if you look in the other Gospels, you'll see that there's this great discourse. And they're asking him many questions. They're asking him about marriage. They're asking him about divorce. They're asking him about taxes. They're asking him about all these things. And the thing about it is that if you're not careful to pay close attention you'll miss the fact that these people were basing their relationship with God and right standing with God based upon their adherence to laws. And so when they're asking him about marriage and they're asking him about divorce, uh, one gospel uh, shows us that they were testing him. That they were actually trying to catch him somewhere and something wrong. And so... Something interesting happens here in the midst of this uh, uh, these, this portion of Scripture where we're reading. One of these scribes begins to see past what's common. He doesn't ask a question based upon the law, per se. He's seeking something outside of what's normal. And so he asks the question, which is the first commandment? Here's what he's saying. What's the, what's the most important commandment of all? And Jesus in verse 29 responds to him, The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Here's what he's saying. God is number one. We have one God. Now, I want us to think about this a little bit. Because worship has to do with what we value. But worship is intended for God. And so if we are placing more value on things above God, then what are we saying about those things? What are we truly esteeming them to be? Whether we know it or not, we're creating gods unto ourselves. And there's only one God. And so our worship, our response is to be completely and totally to God, nothing else. But verse 30 is very interesting because Jesus doesn't just talk about worshiping when you go to a service. Jesus isn't talking about worship in terms of when we walk into a building. Jesus isn't talking about worship in light of the songs we sing. Jesus isn't even talking about uh, worship in in response to uh, the things we do for the kingdom. Jesus is talking about a complete person. He's talking about the heart. He's talking about the mind. He's talking about the, 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 our strength. And he's talking about our intellect. He's talking about every area of our lives. All that we are. Worship check for yourself. Please don't shout yourself out. And please don't do one of these to the, your neighbor. Just think about this. Is that how you worship God? Is that how you respond to God? Do your thoughts reflect a response to who God is? Do the words that you speak reflect a response to who God is? Is the manner in which you approach your responsibility in your workplace, in your home, is the manner in which you relate to your spouse. How, how, how are you doing with these things? Now listen, this isn't about condemnation, and this certainly isn't about you saying, oh man, I'm so bad, and you leave here, you know, like, you're at the bottom of the barrel. That's not what this is about. But how many of you know, how many of you know that truth enlightens us? And what we're listening to right now is the word, and I want you to simply consider where you at with your worship. How's that going? You know, I used to hear, it's not about a religion. It's about a relationship. And that sounded so good and so spiritual. And I would wonder, what does that mean? I would wonder what it means when we said, you know what I used to think worship was? I used to think worship was that you raise your hands. That's what I used to think. I used to think that worship was crying. I used to to think that there was some outward expression. And that's not what Jesus is talking about at all. Worship entails so much more. Think about this. When he talks about the heart, he's talking about the innermost being in general. He's talking about the vehicle from which all spiritual and physical life flows. Right? There's a scripture in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, that says that we should guard our heart. For out of it flow the issues of life. And so this heart with which we believe, when we believe correctly... When we believe according to the truth of God's word, when we believe according to a risen Christ and what he, who we are now, what that means for our lives, that's worship. But guess what? If we do, well, I believe this, but yeah, you know what? I'm going to chuck that. Then we're not worshiping. There's no worship there. There isn't. Think about this. He talks about the soul. And he's literally talking about the mind, the will, and the emotions there. And it speaks of our feelings, it speaks of our emotions, it speaks of our passions, it speaks of our desires, it speaks of our thinking process. And so what you do with your feelings, what you do emotionally, what you're passionate about, what you desire, it's meant to reflect a response about who God is. It's meant to declare worship unto God. So the next time you wake up and you go, oh, my God, I don't want to hate everybody at my job. I hate my boss. I hate the commute. I hate the people that are you worshiping. Does it honor God? Does it respond to who God is? I mean, let's really think about this. I don't know about you, but I've never seen worship that way. I've never understood it that way. When he talks about the mind, he's talking about the function of what we do with our intellect. Our thinking capacity. What we do with our intelligence, our conscience, our will. And so, hey, when was the last time you checked your thinking? I'll tell on me, I was doing some work this week and I was just frustrated. Frustrated. And I could tell you right now, there was no worship in my thinking. Now, this doesn't change the fact that God loves you. And this does not change the fact that God is with you, that he's forgiving you, that, that, that his promises are still true, that you're still called of God, that you're still chosen of God, that you're still holy in his sight. Because what Jesus did is enough. It's more than enough. But what does that do for us? It, God doesn't change. But I could tell you this, when we're not worshiping, we change. We change. Our thinking changes. How we respond to people changes. How we live changes. That's dangerous. And the strength, our strength, it speaks of the use of our ability, force, or might, but to the maximum capacity. So are you living life that way? Are you going for the gusto? I get flack for being so passionate, man. I get on the streets, and I, I get around people, and I'm like a crack addict. I'm like, yo, yeah. let me add them. Where is it at? Yeah. You know, it's just I'm, I'm excited. I'm passionate, and I get flagged for that. But listen, I love God that way, but I also love people that way. Yeah. I love community that way. I believe what a lot of people don't dare to believe. But it's because of the one the one whom I believe in. It's That's how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live to the max. The Bible says that everything we do, we should do it in excellence unto the Lord. In excellence to the greatest capacity. So here's another worship check. How you living? How you living? How's that working for you? How's that going for you? Because listen, if we're not, Living this way, it's not worship unto God. So I'm sorry to bust your bubble if you said, well, you know, I thought what we did was worship when we sang those songs. And I felt a little tingle and, you know, I shed a little tear. It was worship. You responded to God. But just understand that worship doesn't stop when you check out this door. Worship is, it encompasses our entire lives. Our entire lives. I love what Jesus says in verses 32 and 33, because in verses 32 and 33, what we see is that this, uh, what happens in verses 32 and 33, because what we see is that the scribe says, well said teacher, you've spoken the truth, there is one God, and there is no other but he, and then watch what he says. Watch what he says. Listen, he went completely against the grain of all his contemporaries, all his peers, all the religious scribes, the people who supposedly had it together. And he says this. He says, hey, truly, it's, it's better than the sacrifices and the offerings that we offer to love God with all the heart, with all the mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. It's better than the sacrifices that we put emphasis on. And Jesus' response was this, you're not far from the kingdom. Listen, worship has the potential to happen all the time if we choose to. What good is it to declare God is great, that God is real, that God is worthy of all praise, that, 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 that you love God but not act like it and not live like it? The ritual of worship is not enough. It takes a heart, a mind, and a strength that actively responds to God in every area of our lives. And so for a couple of minutes here, I want to just take you through a little journey. And I want to just simply talk at this point about why we worship. Why why do we have reason to worship? Turn to John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. I'll let you catch up to me because for the sake of time, I want to be conscious here. But John chapter 4, 23 and 24 says this, the hour is coming. And now is, this is Jesus speaking, when the true worshipers, so wait, there's fake worship. There's true worship and then there's fake worship. I didn't say that. Jesus said the true worshipers. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So check this out. When Jesus spoke these words, he was having this discourse with this woman, uh, uh, this woman that was a Samaritan. And that was a big no-no in those days, right? Because this Samaritan woman, uh, uh, first of all, in those times, Samaritans had nothing to do with Jews. It was like oil and water, right? I was about to say peanut butter and jelly, but those marry well. You you can't do peanut butter without some jelly. You got to have peanut butter jelly time. I'm getting excited. Anyway, my point is this. It was a big no-no. It was a big, big no-no. So Jews and Samaritans had nothing to do with each other. But here's the other aspect of it. That teachers, rabbis, and women had nothing in common. In those days, a teacher, a rabbi, and Jesus was looked... In, in that capacity he was looked to in that capacity by many especially by his disciples they did not teach women in those times the culture and the and and the way things were women learned at home they did not they did not congregate with the men to learn the word to study to hear the law they didn't do any of that and so the disciples show up and they see Jesus talking with this woman they're like dude what are you doing you're not supposed to do this Right, But here's what happens. When you read this story at surface level, here's what we assume. Oh, this is an issue about this woman living with this man, and she's had five other husbands, and Jesus is calling her out on it. That's not what Jesus was pointing her to. That was an issue in her life. But here's here's what happens. This woman equated a relationship with God to the location where you worshipped from. And so she says to him, "Uh, you say... Uh, You Jews say that uh, we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, and we believe that we're supposed to worship here on this mountain. And Jesus stops her in her tracks, and he points her to the heart of the matter. In verses 23 and 24, he says to her, listen, enough of that fake worship. It's not about where you go. It's not even about how you behave. It's about true worship. And here's what he reveals. Those that worship God worship him in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? What does that mean? Right? Here's what it means. When Jesus spoke these words and he was speaking to this woman, he explained to her profound truth that can easily be missed today. Only that which is of the same nature of as God can respond to him and value his worth. So let, let me let me let me give you an example of this. You speak Spanish? Good. I'm glad you don't. Somebody speak Spanish around here? Come on, where are my Spanish people at? You around here? Right. Some of you can fake it, you know, act like it, whatever. Right. So I'm gonna, I want to say something to you, right? In Spanish, with the understanding that you speak English, right? So it's two different planes. You're on the English plane. I'm on the Spanish plane, right? Um, so, Mauricio, estoy alegre que estás aquí hoy. Que bueno es que llegaste. Espero que hoy la palabra de Dios te hable a ti de una manera muy poderosamente y que cuando te vayas de aquí te vayas con un entendimiento nuevo y tengas un amor y una gracia más para Dios. Did you understand a word that I said? Right. Who understood what I said? Why? Because we speak Spanish, we're on the same plane. right? Now I'm going to do that again, but I'm going to do it on the same level. right? Maurice, I'm so glad you're here today, man. I hope that the word of God blesses you today and that as you leave here today, you're encouraged and that your eyes are open and you see God in a greater way and you love him more and more. Did you understand every word I said? Did those words at that point where I could speak to you on the same level, did they have the ability to encourage you? Is the potential there to to help you grow and, and to touch you somehow and impact you in a certain way? So watch this. Those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So what is Jesus saying here? It's not the way you think it's supposed to be. There's something that has to happen within you so that you can truly worship God the way that he intended it. I got good news for you today. How many of you are believers? How many of you love Jesus? He's your Lord, he's your Savior. Good, we're amongst family. We're all, to, we're all amongst... Then guess what? You can worship God, but why? Let me tell you why we can worship God. Because we're like him. Because we're like him. We're like him. Sometimes things go wrong in life. Sometimes we live less than what God's word says. And here's the lie that we can buy. I can't go to God. Lord, I can't even worship you. You might not be worshiping because of what you're doing or whatever, but the, the reality is this. You are still like him, and you still have the ability to worship if you could get it right. Turn it around, right? And so we can we worship God because we're like him. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, I love this scripture, says this. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. Watch this. A holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. And so in olden times, when you wanted to worship God, you did it through a priest. Here's how it looked. You wanted to offer thanks to God, so you brought your little turtle doves or your pigeons or whatever animal you brought, right? You brought it to the priest. The priest took it, and then the priest went into the Holy of Holies. He presented it before God, and it was acceptable to God. But you never had contact with God. You know why? Because you weren't a priest. Here's what the word says. You are a priesthood. You know what that means? Now you can go directly to God, and you can worship him. You don't have to offer a sacrifice because Jesus did that. There's only one thing that we can do, respond in thanksgiving to God. Let me tell you another reason why we worship God. We worship God because we have reason to. Go to Psalm 33 verses 1 through 9. Time is escaping me here, so I'm gonna just jump right into this. Psalm 33, verses 1 through 9 says, This rejoice in the Lord, oh you righteous. That's you. Tell somebody, that's me. Tell somebody else, that's you. He's talking about you. Rejoice in the Lord, oh you righteous. For praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Don't you ever bring a harp in here unless it's in. No, let me stop. (laughs) Let me stop. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. There's a reason why we're loud here. Because the Bible says shout. We don't do passive here. I'm sorry. It's just not our makeup. It's not what we do. We worship God, right? So, verse 4. For the word of the, of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. Uh, The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. That's talking about reverencing God. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. So watch what the psalmist is doing. The psalmist is reflecting upon all, God's creation, God's handiwork, and here's what he says in response to that. Everybody should be praising him. Everybody should be worshiping him. Hey, check this out. I know that sometimes things don't work out the way we want them to. I know sometimes we, we, have, our, you know, we have our rough moments. We can have those. But here's the thing. Have you ever stopped to really consider, man, Lord, how good have you been to me? How blessed am I? Listen, every last one of us has reason to worship God. Every last one of us has reason to respond to God, to think higher thoughts, to speak in a better way, to serve in a better manner, to do greater things because we have a good God, a great God, and we can live a life that worships him. Hey, check this. When you're at your best, when you're at your best, when you're serving with all your heart, when you're loving with all your heart, when, you, when, when you're, when you're um, um, responding to God with your words, with your actions amongst your fellow neighbor, amongst your fellow man, when you live life that way, it's worship. It gives us reason to worship God. It gives us reason to, uh, to, to respond to God that way. Let me tell you another reason why we worship. We worship because it's, it says something about our God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 6, here's what's going on there. We'll put it up, and I'll just allude to a portion of it. But in Acts chapter 2, what we see is this, that the disciples are in a worship service. They're praying. They're waiting on the Lord. The, Jesus specifically told them, wait in this, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? And I'll do you with power and all this other good stuff, right? And so they're in a, in a worship service. They're worshiping together. They're encouraging one another. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that the room becomes a, that, that, that a mighty wind, a rushing wind blows through the room. And that they're all filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in new tongues. And the Bible says that there were some people who heard them and said, these guys are drunk. Then there's, uh, But the, the vast majority of people, it says that they heard the mysteries of God. In their own language. And so here's what happens. They're worshiping and the world is watching. The world may not understand our worship unto God. But here's what they do understand. They understand what it says about our God. Many years ago. uh, Many, many years ago. uh, We were living in the Bronx. uh, And we lived in a three-bedroom apartment on Patterson Avenue, by the Classen's Point area, down there, and we lived in a three-bedroom apartment in a in a private home. And on the first floor, the owner, of uh, the the brother of the owner lived on the first floor. This guy named Carlos. So he was a real cool guy, but he was going through a lot of problems. You know, I would listen to him, and I would always encourage him with the word. And I would always, you know, there were times when I would pray for him and all that. And, and so he always came to me. You know, we would talk, and it always happened the same way. I'm getting out my car or going to my car, and he's coming. Uh, getting into his car, getting out of his car to go into the house, and we would stop and talk. And so one particular day, um, I woke up really early. It was a Saturday morning, and I went to a supermarket, Western Beef, right? And so I walk into the supermarket. It's bright and early, and it was there was a little chill. It was kind of like, I think it was in the fall or something. Anyway, I had a hoodie on, and I, you know I just put it on. It was one of those mornings I didn't want to be bothered with anybody. I just wanted to walk in and walk out, right? Uh, and so anyway, I walk into this supermarket, I purchase all my stuff, I get to the register, I pay for it, and I'm walking out with all these bags to go to my car in the parking lot. And another person with a hoodie who I didn't know at the time is walking by me, and he's got his hoodie on, and he bumps into me. It was kind of hard, so I dropped my bags in my right hand. And I wish I could tell you that my response was, oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. You know my response was? Yo, what's your problem, man? And the guy turns around, because he, he kept walking, turns around, he pulls his hoodie off, and he looks at me, he goes, I always knew that there was another side to you besides that Jesus stuff. I dropped the ball. I'll tell you straight up, I dropped the ball. But here's the thing. This world is watching. And you know what? This world isn't looking to hear about Jesus. They're looking to meet him. That's just the honest to God truth. How we live is worship. And our worship says something to this world about our God. It says something to this world about our God. You know, you think about, you know, Pastor Ness talking announcements, July 8th, we're doing the beginning of summer bash. You want to hear what we're doing? I'm bringing in a 6,000-gallon water truck. Big, huge tanker. We're going to set up a huge slip and slide. We're going to do hot dogs. I'm bringing in a DJ. Uh, we're going to do it up. We're going to have water games and all that. But guess what we're also going to do? We're going to pray for this city and this region. We're going to declare that there is safety because the Lord makes us to dwell in safety. We're going to pray and declare that the enemy is not snatching the lives of the children and the families. He's not going to destroy in this place because there is a beacon of hope. Jesus Christ is here and his people are here and we're going to stand. So we're going to love people. We're going to minister the gospel. We're going we're gonna to serve people. And we're going to have fun while we're doing it. And you know why we're going to do that? because this is what we do we worship God we worship God we worship God we believe what we believe and we and we live it and I know that for some of us maybe that's a little uncomfortable sometimes good good because there's greatness beyond your comfort so I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And for the next few minutes that I have, I want to close out by simply sharing with you some thoughts from Scripture on ways that we worship. And this isn't all in one, but I just took some Scriptures that the Bible specifically talks about our love unto God. How we worship God, how we respond to God. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I'm reading from the New International Version, says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Listen Paul says that as Christians we've received mercies the mercies of God through Christ's work. It's a gift so fantastic that listen if you if you study this the previous 11 chapters before chapter 12 he spoke about this great gift. He spoke about the gift that we've received in Christ that we now have a new life. Right? That where we were once dead because of Adam, now we're alive because of Christ and what he's done, right? So Paul spends all this time describing that in this letter to the Romans prior to this verse. But then he tells us a way that we can say thank you, a way that we can respond to God. And he says, it's not by offering sacrifices, but by presenting something so much much more precious, your life. Your life. Your life. I grew up in one of those environments where it was cliche. Everybody said, oh, Lord, have your way. Not my will, but your will be done. We would go to these worship services, and man, it would be powerful, you know, and oh, the spirit is moving. You know, you used to hear that kind of language and all that. And so all this great stuff was happening, but then people would walk out the door and live the same. Listen, worship changes you. Worship changes you. When you begin to live a life that responds to God, the things that you do and the way that you live becomes important, not to you, not because of you, but because of who God is. Because of who God is. Because he's that good. Because he's that lovely, because he's that worthy because he's that important, because he matters that much. Listen, we might not believe that what we do with our lives as as we sacrifice our daily living in his ways is not all that great because we focus on our flaws. But God says that our life is holy and well-pleasing to him. And it's the least thing that we could do. What you do with your life is an act of worship unto God. What you do with your life, hey, how you take care of yourself is an act of worship unto God. The reputation that you maintain amongst others is an act of worship unto God. You should be conscious of how people look at you. Not because you're concerned to conform to what they say, no. But because it says something about who God is. We're meant to be different. Hebrews 13, 15 says this, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Let me ask you a question. Is the manner of your speech a cause for people to recognize who God is? Is there a difference with the way you speak? Is there a difference with how you respond to your loved ones? I'm telling you, I'm preaching this to you, but I'm preaching this to me too. I'm preaching this to me. This tongue is quick if we're not careful, it's quick. We could chop something up real. I I guarantee you there's a bunch of master chefs here. (laughs) We'll cut something up real good. Slice it, dice it, fillet it. and. But watch what scripture says. That continually we offer the sacrifice of praise. How? By the fruit of our lips. You know... The best way to say thanks to God is not to say thanks, God. It's to exemplify it through our lives. Are are our words seasoned with love and truth? Do they reflect a change because of our great God? See, what you do with your words... Is an act of worship unto God. Here's a tough one. The Bible says this in Ephesians 4 29. I didn't even put it up, but it's just something I wrote for myself. It says, Let no corrupt speech come forth from your mouth, but that which is good to edify others. Now I know some of us, man, you know, we get around certain people and you know we we go an extra mile. But let's stop and consider what God's word says. Is that worship? Is that a response to God? We're here thinking we're being slick and, and, and cute and all that with what we say. But what does it say about God? Our words matter. Hebrews 13:16 says this, and I close with this. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Listen, what you do in service to others is an act of worship. What you do in service to others is an act of worship. Now, here's what some of us think when we hear that. Oh, yeah, when we go out Newberg Illuminated and when we, you know, when I I helped that little old lady cross the street. Listen, you serve people at work. You serve people at home. You serve people all around you. You're always around them. And what we do in service to others is an act of worship to God. Let me tell you what else is an act of worship to God. What you do with your finances is an act of worship to God. Listen, many people regard their financial giving towards the things of God in the same way that they do to paying their taxes. I have to do it. God sees it differently in Philippians 14 he says this that our giving is a fragrant aroma that it's an acceptable sacrifice that it's well pleasing to God well pleasing and so worship ladies and gentlemen all our heart all our mind all our soul all our strength this is what we do this is what we do this is who we are. You know you know why this is what we do? You know why that's this is what we do? Because of what he's done.